Welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community. All right. Good morning, everybody. This is your weekly episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. My name is Anna Mullins-Ellis. I am here from New Memphis with my teammate and friend, Christy Mullen. Good morning. We have a a great show today. Um, For those of you who are not familiar with this program, every week we invite local leaders, guests, uh, activists, innovators, just (laughs) the coolest people in the Bluff City who are working to make our city better, working to create a brighter future for Memphis. All right. So, yes, we've got two amazing guests here today um, who are doing incredible work in different parts of our community. Uh, First up, who do we have, Christy? Yeah, so like Anna said, we have two really amazing people here with us today. First, we'll have Jennifer Pepper, who is from Choices, uh, which is a local Memphis organization. She is actually their new executive director. And we'll also have Mary Braddock, who is the director of communications for our friends and organization Porter Leith in the city. So two great, great people doing, actually doing work, but also fulfilling needs of the Memphis community. So exciting good well i missed poor jennifer's interview yeah a little bit of um, podcast (laughs) magic making behind the curtain look um we didn't record this one in order so i wasn't here in time to interview jennifer but she's amazing um and is uh uh just a real win for choices to have elevated her to executive director so christy let's uh, turn it over to your interview with jennifer yeah guys uh, just so you know we are coming to you live on air at wyxr memphis uh they give us the platform to do this wonderful, wonderful talk show. And we are also on podcast networks, as Anna just referenced, about the magic that happens behind the scenes. Uh, but here, let's get started with Jennifer. All right, guys, Jennifer Pepper is here in studio with us. She serves as the executive director of Choices in Memphis, which is a center for reproductive health. Hello, Jennifer. How are you? Hey, Christy. I'm good. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm super excited to have you here and get to be here. You told me earlier while we were before we got on the air that you we are your first podcast you are i'm so excited i love podcasts i listen to them all the time but this is my very first time as a guest i'm super excited to have you with us and to learn all about choices because i will be completely transparent it's not something i know a lot about oh i love the organization so you're going to be teaching me as well as our listeners today awesome wonderful yeah so i think you're the perfect person for the job (laughs) (laughs) i hope so um so yeah so choices started as the memphis center for reproductive health in 1974 actually uh really shortly after the supreme court decided the roe v wade case and made abortion legal across the country and a group of feminists in memphis sat around and waited for hospitals and doctor's offices to start providing abortion care now that it was legal, Mm -hmm. and they didn't. And so the feminists got together, they founded the center, they went and hired doctors and nurses, and they started performing abortion care. We were the first place in Memphis to provide abortion care ever. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, interestingly enough, a year after that, we were we partnered with the Memphis Police Department and did a pilot of what became the Rape Crisis Center, uh, started at our center as well. And so that's what Choices was until the early 2000s. We provided very specialized care in terms of abortion. And then our former executive director, Rebecca Terrell, joined the organization. Uh, she retired in December after a decade with us. Okay. And she really saw 
us as being capable of much more. And so over the last 10 years, we've greatly expanded our services, including uh, we moved into a brand new facility in September and opened the very first birth center in Memphis. And we're providing truly comprehensive sexual and reproductive health care services. And the idea is that the person that needs an abortion today may need to give birth in a year, may need birth control in two years, that's all the same person, um, and they should be able to get care from the same high-quality, patient-centered place. Right. It really, that's very intriguing to me because I didn't know, realize it was that fully encompassing, and it mm-hmm. kind of feel, feels, like I was about to say filling in the gaps, but it feels like you guys are filling in the gaps kind of yeah. from like start to finish. Like, I really liked how you framed it there, that the person that is getting this type of service today, absolutely, they're still probably going to need some type of reproductive health service in the future. People's reproductive lives are decades yeah. long, and they need different things at different points. And Choices is building the model that meets all of those needs through their lifetime. Um, and it's really exciting, uh, especially from coming from the little independent abortion clinic that could, yeah. right, uh, that started here in Memphis, Tennessee. And now all of a sudden we are an example of the model of what can be, like we can as a community do better mm-hmm. for trans people, for pregnant people, for just everybody. And Choices is the model that that can be. And so it's really exciting to think about our future, right? We really want this type of care to be accessible to people in all kinds of communities, right? And so we want to share our model and our success um, because it's important and this is how healthcare should be delivered. That's really interesting how you talk about looking toward the future. I learned that you are the newer-ish ED for choices. So kind of give the listeners, since they probably don't know you or Mm -hmm. may not be familiar with you, or some of you may be, Mm -hmm. but for everyone, kind of give us a little bit of background on like you and how you got to this role. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in uh, when I was in high school, I got a pamphlet for a college uh, that I'd never heard of <laughs> named Rhodes okay. uh, and uh, came and visited, ended up doing my undergrad at Rhodes. Um, and so I've done all of my adult life in Memphis. Mm-hmm. I may not have been born or raised here, okay. but I've done all my adult <laughs> life in Memphis. And so Memphis feels very much You're like my second home. Place. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and I feel like I've had kind of two distinct careers. I've had a, uh, I've worked in HIV care prevention a long time and I've worked in sexual and reproductive health for a long time. And it may sound a little weird that those are separate fields, uh, but they really are in terms of funding structure. And and that's something Choices wants to break down to is kind of silos around those work because it turns out HIV prevention is a part of sexual and reproductive health care. Right. <laughs> uh, but so when I graduated from Rhodes, I worked at Le Bonheur for a while doing HIV education and sexual health education, which was my favorite job of all time. Well, until this job. I, I love this job a lot, too. Uh, but I got to go to churches and schools and prisons and drug rehabs and just anywhere that would have mm-hmm. me and talk about HIV prevention, safer sex. Um, and it, I mean, it's it. It's a fun job. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I got more involved in the, I started to get more involved in the administrative side of nonprofit, so grant writing and things like that. Um, and shortly after, I, when I left Le Bonheur, I actually went to 
choices and worked there full-time as a community outreach coordinator, got the first grant, wrote the first grant that Choices was ever awarded. Well done. As a former grant writer myself, I can respect. Oh, it felt so good. It It felt so good. Um, And so really started the grant program. Uh, When Rebecca came in, she promoted me to assistant director. And so really started to take on more of the oversight of operations and finance. And that's really when it kind of struck me that a lot of folks around me had a deep passion for helping people and that there, but there was a lack of interest uh, or uh, knowledge and training in the administrative side, the business side of running nonprofits. So I went back and got an MBA uh, and that's really what kind of propelled me into the kind of leadership around nonprofits is understanding all the administrative stuff, the right. finance, um, I like numbers as it turned out. I spent my whole high school career telling myself I was bad at math. Turns out I wasn't. It was just some nonsense about girls not being good at math. Uh, Uh, So fun, right? (laughs) (laughs) Although I will say for our listeners, I am truly bad at math. Like, it is not like like I completely retweet what you said. But in my instance, I'm like, no, I could never, like, just two plus two. It's individual. It's not thing based on our gender, (laughs) right? Like, it's just like, yes, it's an individual Mm -hmm. thing. I am just bad at math because, not because I'm a girl. Exactly. Just because. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a creative. We don't have to be good at math, guys. (laughs) But you need people like me that are. That's why teams and collaborations are important, right? Totally agree. Uh, So I spent some years as the assistant director at Choices, and then I left and went and worked for Shelby County Government, where I managed the Ryan White program. Okay. And so I was uh, held the responsibility of administering about $10 million in HIV prevention and care grants every year locally. Uh, learned just so much. I can't even tell you what I learned, all the stuff I learned during my tenure with the government. Um, and then Rebecca reached out to me and she said, look, we're making the center happen. We're building it. Um, and it's always been a dream and appealed to me because it, when you work with pregnant people seeking abortion, like you understand very quickly that this is just a moment in their life and that they have lots of other needs, right? And so uh, when Rebecca came, I was like, yes, I want to come back. I want to be part of building this center. And so I spent the last three years as the director of operations and finance. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Rebecca and I spent the last year going through a really strategic and thoughtful transition process for the organization. Um, But in a lot of ways, it feels like I've grown up with choices uh, because I've been there I was there at the very first old historic home where we had clinic. I was there when we moved into our most recent uh, location and then uh, was honored and privileged enough to be part of the most recent move into the comprehensive center. Wow. So, yeah, you've really had an evolution with the org, which I think is sometimes it's just very cool because you've seen it at its various states. And it like you said, you grew with yes. it. So as your development and your mental development grew, the organization grew. So you guys really have come up together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I sometimes sit in my new office now and I'm just like, oh my gosh, how did we, how yeah. did we, or I'll look out the windows onto the parking lot and it's like, how did we get here? Right. It's just, it really is uh, surreal sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have, so since this is something big for Memphis. Mm-hmm. What do you think the importance of having something like choices here in our city in particular? Mm. Like, why does that matter? <clears throat> yeah, it matters for a lot of reasons. So it matters uh, because folks in Memphis have 
not a lot of access to healthcare, yeah. especially gender affirming or culturally competent patient centered healthcare. Um, a lot of our healthcare in Memphis is provided by religious organizations. And so that presents a problem for certain sexual and reproductive health care that people need. Um, we don't have sex education in the schools. So unfortunately, we have higher rates of uh, less than positive outcomes because we don't teach folks how to protect themselves and to have a healthy and sexual life. That's not their problem. That's our problem as leaders and policymakers. Um, it's important to have a place like Choices in Memphis because people need access to health care. A lot of folks are locked out of health care mm -hmm. because of geography, race, socioeconomic status, employment status, uh, and Choices is dedicated to seeing people regardless of their ability to pay. Um, there just aren't many providers left in the state or really even the country that will provide abortion care. And so being an abortion provider is always important because that is a choice that people have to make for themselves. But legality is the floor. People can't actually access abortion if there aren't people to provide it. And then another really critical part is that Memphis, we all know about maternal mortality and health outcomes in Memphis. We kind of, you know, we all get the the Memphis is the worst this and the worst that, right? Um, and providing the ability for folks to access midwifery care is really life-changing. Like midwifery care, the outcomes are so much better. Women have a very empowered or pregnant people, excuse me, I'm trying to be less gendered in my language. Uh, pregnant people get to have the birth they want and they get to have it in a way that really feels empowering. Um, when I came back to Choices, um, and I don't know why this surprises me. I really still haven't figured out why it surprised me. But, you know, I knew it felt to me like policymakers didn't care about mm -hmm. women because of all these horrible things they put in the way of them accessing abortion or of them accessing sexual health care services. And so for some reason, I thought the birth part, the prenatal care part would be better, right? Um, it turns out it's not. Like they don't make policies that support pregnant women and, and babies. Uh, they don't make payment policies that support high quality care for patients. And so it really just solidified to me that there, there is a lack of support for people to have the families they want to have when they want to have them. And so Choices provides that. Um, we also are super proud to employ three of only four black midwives that uh, work and live oh, in wow. Memphis, Tennessee. And we know it's important for people's providers to look like them because they just have better outcomes, especially when we're talking about pregnancy and birth. Um, and so we're really proud to be able to provide that space for folks. Um, and like I said before, to serve them throughout their lifespan. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are really the crux of your mission, which I am, like I said, I'm learning with the audience today Absolutely. what you guys do. Like you were really striving to provide an accessible and equitable yeah. source to health care, specifically pregnancy health care and things yeah. of that nature. So yeah. I think that is an honorable thing because it is hard. Like health care is hard, any shape, form, yes. fashion. And so I think you guys are really striving to give that to people in the best way you can. You mentioned that it was free. 
So uh, choices, we offer a variety of way for patients okay. to support their services, right? So uh, we like to be real transparent and offer upfront pricing for okay. different services. We have an internal patient assistance fund uh, that we put a pot of money into every year for our patients to access. Uh, we also collaborate and coordinate with just... Uh, at least six or seven national patient assistant funds. And we have staff on site that do that coordination for patients. Mm -hmm. And so we figure out a way to support the patients that want to come see us. Um, some We do some things at no cost. Um, most of our okay. services have a cost involved. Right. But we also bill all insurances, mm -hmm. right, including TenCare, uh, which is really another reason Choices was really important because of the payment structure of TenCare. And it's not just TenCare, but Medicaid across the country. It's so low. Lots of OBGYNs, obstetric providers won't accept TenCare okay. because it just doesn't cover the cost of the care they provide, right? I understand that. And so Choices accepts 10 care. We are committed to taking 10 care patients. They are at least 50% of our birth center patients. And because we're able to supplement our revenue with grants and with donations, mm -hmm. uh, we're able to, to really provide a type of access that hasn't ever been available to right. the Medicaid population before. That's, uh, I'm glad you went into more depth because I didn't know what 10 care was. Um, mm -hmm. So you kind of just gave our audience a little bit of knowledge that they may not have had either uh, into the services and stuff you guys provide and how you do that, I think, is so important. I do have to ask because I, we are in the South. Right? Sure. And so the word abortion mm. has a connotation to it. Like mm -hmm. no matter which which you can be pro, you can be con. Absolutely. Whatever. How do you guys because you offer so much more than that. Yeah. How do you guys combat the negative stigma that surrounds that word? I mean, it's really hard, right? Yeah. It's, it, I mean, you put it very well. It's very stigmatizing. It's very polarizing. For us, it's really just about everybody. Bodily autonomy is the right we're all granted when we're born. And so honoring that bodily autonomy and allowing people to make their own decisions uh, is what choice is the crux of who choices is. And so we feel really good about being able to support your decision regardless of what it is. So you're pregnant and you have kind of three options in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. You can terminate your pregnancy. You can carry the pregnancy to term and birth a child. And you can choose to parent or you could choose to adopt. And so you come to Choices. We can help you with all three of those. We don't provide adoption services, but we absolutely provide referrals mm -hmm. to trusted adoption agencies and uh, adoption lawyers that we've worked with. Um, and so that's what that's about. Like, we're not going to make your decision for you, right. but we are going to support you in your decision. Well, I think you kind of, it's, you laid it out perfectly just then because it's in the name, right? Mm -hmm. You guys' job at the end of the day is to present Pregnant people, like you said, let's not gender the word and say mm -hmm, women, but mm -hmm. like Thank you. pregnant people with their choices. Yeah. Like it's, you don't, you're not forcing them nope. anyway. You're not telling them one way is better than the other. Yep. You're strictly just laying out the options and being like, yeah. these are the routes you can take. We're here to support you no matter your choice. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I think that's a very admirable thing because I think, and you mentioned this earlier about sex education not mm -hmm. being readily available. Mm. I think it all, that's the crux of the issue as a whole is just education, like with pregnancy, with sex education, like 
you have to be educated before you can make an educated decision. Yeah, you have to have information. Yeah. Like that's the that's what allows us to make decisions is information, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, as we were building this new facility and we were, you know, doing business plans and beginning to hire midwives and starting to see pregnant people mm-hmm. and, you know, we were all real excited about it and it was kind of this abstract thing, right? Yeah. Well, but then we started seeing patients like we had a patient come to us for an abortion service. And while she was in the patient education portion of the abortion appointment, mm-hmm. the told the patient educator she didn't really want to have an abortion. And so patient educator said, that's great. Let's and went and got one of our midwives, brought right. the midwife down and the patient enrolled in midwifery care and had her baby. And we've seen it go the other way, too. Like a patient mm-hmm. showed up for midwifery care. They were like, I, I just, you know. There's a variety of reasons women or people can't continue pregnancies. And we're like, that's cool. We can take care of you too, right? And and referred them literally down the stairs uh, to receive abortion care. Um, and that is really when it hit home what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it you said admirable, and 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 I guess it is, and it's the right thing to do. Yeah. This is how healthcare should be delivered. This is what's possible. Um, There are lots of systems and policies and things in place that prevent this from happening in places, mostly kind of the stigma that you talked about just a little while ago. Um, Abortion is a super stigmatized service. People are scared. Abortion providers experience violence. That's real. Um, And so, you know, that's a conversation we could, you know, we'd spend hours talking about that for sure. But we're meeting a real need in lived people's lives and, um, and everybody should be able to access that type of health care. I agree. I think you guys are providing that service again, you know, right? You're just, that is what you're there to do. You're there to help mm-hmm. at the end of the day. You're mm-hmm. not there to, again, make people's decisions for them because you just gave those wonderful examples of people who have come to you thinking they had a decision. And once they were more informed and yes. educated, they're yes. like, oh, this is not the decision I want to make. And that's not you guys. That's just people being able to have autonomy and think for themselves with all the information because when no matter what we're talking about like when i decide what i want to eat when i leave here like if i hear that there's a new restaurant on the corner i'm like oh that could change my mind so something as easy as that to something as serious and Mm life-changing as the services you guys are providing you know that again that education is just so important and crucial and you mentioned a little bit about like you know you got, we could be here all day if we mm-hmm. talked about the pros and cons, mm-hmm. but I kind of want to hear, do you guys have anything exciting coming up in like this upcoming year that you're, I know you just moved into the new building, which yeah. you mentioned, like, yeah. is there anything else on the horizon for you guys? Yeah. So we're really, so we just moved into our new building in September. It's beautiful and amazing. And just patients just constantly comment on how comfortable and great it feels to access mm-hmm. healthcare in a beautiful place. Um, and it's super important because people want to feel comfortable yeah. and, you know, uh, and if uh, we, you know, when the pandemic is a little more under control and, and folks are back out and about a little bit, we look forward to hosting folks in our new building and uh, we're glad to give tours and things like that. Um, but we're really in this, okay, we're in this brand new facility. We need to do some work around filling it up and coming up to capacity, mm-hmm. essentially. And so this year we're really spending time focusing on our infrastructure okay. and making sure uh, that we're doing things super efficiently and that we are really serving patients in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, 
kind of on the horizon for us is, like I mentioned earlier, we believe everybody should have access to the type of care we provide. And so we are really starting to get into the planning stages of a fellowship program, specifically for black midwives, so that they could come practice in our birth center for a year after they graduate and are licensed, um, because there just aren't many opportunities for that across the country. We're also getting more into training medical students and residents um, because we we can't put a choices everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's not enough hours in the day. But if we bring in students, residents, uh, fellows, and really train them in our model of care and why it's important in our values, then they can go back to their communities and hopefully begin to provide care in the same way. And so that's really what we're focusing on building um, is making sure the services here in Memphis are top-notch and patient-centered and then figuring out the best ways to spread our model so that other people in other communities have access to it. Awesome. Well, you've told us, you've educated us today for sure. So if people want to learn more about what you guys are doing, where can they go? If someone wants, they have questions, kind of tell us where we can go, where we can learn more. And, um, you know, if there's someone listening that may want to schedule a consultation, just what's the next steps for them? Yeah. So you can always check out our website, memphischoices.org. We're on all the socials. So the Twitter, Facebook, IG, uh, and we also have a LinkedIn page. Uh, We offer online appointment making, but you can also give us a call um, and our phone numbers are listed on the website uh, and our staff will be happy to talk with folks that are interested in services. Um, But yeah, I would check us out online and uh, get in contact with us if you have more questions or if you're curious about the model and want to talk about that or see our facility. uh, We love talking to people, so please feel free to reach out and contact us. Awesome. Well, you guys heard it here first. You know where to go. Go to their website, which I'm assuming is choices. Memphischoices.org. Memphischoices.org. Mm-hmm. It's always the .com.org. You're like, you're a nonprofit, <laughs> so it should be .org, but sometimes it's not. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Like mm. I said, you've just given us all kind of education about this resource that I know I didn't know existed in our city, and I'm certain some of our listeners did not either. So um, we are super excited you could be here with us. Is there anything else you want to say before you go? I just thank you so much for having me. I think my very first podcast experience yeah, went pretty I think well. You did well. Thank uh, you. I'm a little glad it's over, but thank you so <laughs> much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for letting me talk about the important work we do. Uh, and it's, it's the choices is proud to have served Memphis for decades, and we look forward to the decades to come. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here with us. Bye. <laughs> My name is Erin Wendell, and I serve as the Senior Manager of Programs at New Memphis, supporting our work in the education and collegiate sectors. Educators are essential leaders in our community, and their impact and investment is critical to our city's future success. At New Memphis, we believe it's paramount to recognize the contributions of our best educators, to learn from their experiences, and to support them in their growth. Their work is transformational to students, fellow educators, and Memphis as a whole. So we have a suite of programming to help teachers get plugged in and get developed. And we also offer an award annually, the Educators of Excellence Award, and we celebrate teachers every May during Teacher Appreciation Week. The first week of May every year is Teacher Appreciation Week, and an exciting time for New Memphis to celebrate, recognize, and appreciate all of the educators in Memphis. We know how influential they are to our community, 
So we use this time to highlight their accomplishments and give back to them. Whether or not you're a parent, there are excellent opportunities for you to recognize and appreciate the educators in our city. All week long, New Memphis will run giveaways to local businesses that teachers can win. We'll share teacher testimonials and videos to help people understand their profession more. And we'll provide messages of thanks from community members. If you're looking for ways to support an educator in your life, you can make a donation to a charity in that teacher's honor, connect them to ongoing development opportunities like the New Memphis Stride program or Teacher's Lounge event series. You could collect donated books to expand their library and check out New Memphis on social and at our website for even more ideas to recognize teachers. All right, guys, Mary Braddock is here with us. She is the Director of Communications for Porter Leaf, which is a nonprofit that serves children and families in the Memphis area for over 170 years now, which is a crazy time frame to think about. Um, Mary, thank you for being here with us. How are you? Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I'm super excited. You're another, this is just like a day of first podcast guests, like <laughs> That this is your first time as well, right? It is definitely. I'm super excited to have you. I'm glad we could be your first it, like entry. After this, you're going to get called up like hundreds of times, right? I'm sure. That's how <laughs> I'm sure. Just remember uh, your humble roots. Yes, of just remember us podcast. when you take off. <laughs> well, I would love Mary. Just like since you're here with us, tell us a little bit about you know who you are and and little uh, overarching. What is Porter Lee? Sure. So. Um, as she mentioned, I do communications at Porter Leith, and Porter Leith has been around for a long time. So since 1850, um, not actually far from here, around the corner on Manassas um, is where our historic campus is. Uh, but Porter Leith began as an orphanage. And um, as time has progressed, we've you know evolved and transformed to meet the needs of the communities that we serve. So we've always served children and families, but what that's looked like has evolved over time. Um, so now we do a range of things um, to serve children and families, the majority of which have um, children under five. So um, that's one of our um, focus points. But we also do foster care. Um, we do some mentoring through AmeriCorps and foster grandparents. Um, and then one of our larger programs is, of course, our preschool, which I think a lot of people kind of tend to think of first about Porter Lee. So as you guys honed in that focus on the, you know, five and under, what was the motivation behind that? Um, and, you know, just helping fill that gap. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So we know that um, the child's brain is forming um, during those first five years, especially, right? You're creating all those neural connections in your brain and um, you're a, a child that age is really soaking up the environment around them. So we want to make sure that there are high-quality services available for children and their families um, of that age so that we can pour into children before they get to kindergarten to make sure that when they step into kindergarten, they're ready from the first day. Because um, we know that you know when they're in kindergarten, the more likely they're prepared, the more likely they'll be to read on grade level. You know that hot topic about um, being able to read in that third grade uh, age age group. And then on, to the, on from there, um, we know that that increases high school graduation rates and so many other things in life. So the more we pour into them upstream, the better their outcomes will be. Hmm. What do you think makes having Porter Leith in Memphis so important specifically? You know, Porter Leith um, knows our community. 
We, they, we know what the needs are. Um, one of the most impressive things when I started at Porterleaf um, is that they had been collecting data before collecting data was like a cool thing yeah. to do, right? <laughs> that they've been doing it for the last 25 years um, before I came on board. And so to me, that was really impressive about how they're um, creating programs, how they're making decisions. Um, and all of that is driven by the children and families that we serve. We want to make sure that the things that we're doing are um, focusing on the actual needs of our community and making sure that we meet those needs in a timely manner. So I, I don't want to um, jump too quickly ahead, but <laughs> I, I got to take a tour of your new facility in Fraser last week. Um, completely amazing. I think this is its opening week. Um I, what I and I was we were saying this before we started the the show that um, the scope of your work is so vast and mm -hmm. as you've just described yes you're working with uh, pre K early childhood um, but how you're serving the community and all the different communities you serve again it really blows the mind so kudos to y'all um, but tell us a little bit about that that particular facility I know it's part of a broader plan to open some additional facilities I think in Orange Mound and what's the other mm -hmm. neighborhood in Hickory Hill in Hickory okay. Hill um, so tell us you know you can use the Fraser facility as an example what is you know how is this how is this different first of all from a daycare and I think that's a really important question um, and how is it the same? And what is the sort of um, the vision of having this kind of community-based school model? And how does that sort of live up to your mission? Well, that's a great question. It's a big question. And Sorry, a that was like a question. <laughs> question. <laughs> but no, I think that that really hones into the work that we do. So um, what we're talking about is uh, Porter Lee's newest um, early childhood academy in Fraser. So that will serve 248 children from six weeks up to age five, so before they go into kindergarten. And it is school. I mean, what you mm. mentioned, it is it is emphasized, underlined school and preschool. So they're, they're going for a typical day. They have a curriculum and a routine. Um, and our teachers are incredible. They're really the rock stars, especially this year. Um, they're, if you can imagine doing a preschool via the internet, um, <laughs> they're real rock stars in my book. But um, that facility will do some incredible work, as are all our facilities do. So what that looks like is pairing every family that comes through the doors with a family service worker. So the family service worker will work with the parents to create goals, whether that's an individual goal for the parent, maybe um, getting a GED or um, better transportation, or maybe it's something related to parenting. So how do they emphasize early literacy in their home? Um, whatever that goal might be, the family service worker um, will help them kind of map that goal out. And then every child um, that comes into the room, they'll be engaged in the way that they learn. In the in the Fraser facility, especially, um, there's lots of opportunities. Every classroom has access to a playground, um, but also all the manipulatives that are age appropriate inside of their classroom. So. Of course, in preschool, that looks a lot like play, mm -hmm. right? So play is a huge part um, of how children at this age learn. So whether that's pretend play, when you think about puppet shows or um, pretending house or pretending to be a firefighter or a teacher, they're really acting out and learning how um, those people maybe do their jobs or maybe what is included in all of those actions and reactions. And then they're also learning um, about their social emotional regulation. That's a, that's another big part of our curriculum. 
We want to make sure that the children who are coming through our program know how to regulate their emotions. And that will um, definitely behoove them later on in life, mm. of course. I think we can all learn to do that a little bit better over, <laughs> over time. Yeah. Um, but our teachers are really prepared to do that as well. So that Fraser facility um, that is on Baskin, if anybody wants to come <laughs> and visit, um, it is really preparing not just students, not just families, but also teachers. So that space also um, expands the work that we're able to do with early childhood educators. And it has additional training spaces for our teacher excellence program. So that's one program I didn't mention beforehand. Um, they're doing great work in coaching early childhood educators and providing professional development for them. Mm -hmm. And that started when we first opened our academy in South Memphis. That was actually our first academy mm -hmm. of four. And that was in 2017. So it's been a few years. And we have, again, as I mentioned, the data, right? We, <laughs> we understand a little bit better what the early childhood educator needs and what we can provide for them. So individualized coaching for early childhood educators is available there. So whether it's a large group setting, which will we now have space, more space yeah. for that, or it's an individual level where um, they go and do some instructional coaching one-on-one, -on -one. and they're able to go into the classroom and kind of model the lessons. We have these observation decks built into the Fraser Academy where um, the trainee, if I can call them that, the early yeah. childhood educator can go in and watch the trainer perform a technique um, in the classroom, and then they can swap places and do the other thing. But there are these built-in windows so that the, the trainee can watch the trainer do it without interrupting the class. Yeah. Um, and this, this one-way mirror. The kids can't see it, right? Yeah. They think it's just a mirror. Um, and then that way, they're able to really watch it and then do it and then get feedback from the coach. So we're teaching students that are under five. We're working with the parents and we're working with the early childhood educator. And all of those things we know are going to benefit the child later on in life and strengthen the things that they're learning in the classroom. So we we know that we can't just send a child home with, you know, learning their ABCs and their one, two, threes without making sure that they're coming home to an environment that is conducive and supportive to learning. And um, so that's what we're here to do. So that Fraser Academy, it has 16 um, awesome classrooms that I hope people will come and see at some point or another. And um, the teachers that are in there are incredible, and we can't wait to have our, our children there as well. Yeah, the, the, the focus on helping teachers develop professionally, helping mm -hmm. them continue to do their work better, mm -hmm. I think is, um, you know, that's very core to the New Memphis mission. Um, Absolutely. And we, um, you know, we work with teachers, mostly K through 12 teachers, but making sure that those those support systems are mm -hmm. there for because, as you said, it's a it's a very challenging job. It is a challenging job. And you know, they're doing incredible work in making sure that they're pouring into the children that they serve, and all that we do is just making sure that the kids are learning life skills first of all. Mm -hmm. And if you think about what they're learning in preschool, it is of course academic, social emotional, but it's also just the being able to be independent, wash your hands on your own, you know, they're learning all those key life skills yeah. very, very early on. And so those teachers to me are just incredible. So 
tell us a bit. I mean, so how many students are we serving in that facility? Um, in that facility specifically, 248, 248 is what that building will hold. But I know that the number of kids that you impact across the community <laughs> mm-hmm. is much larger. So tell us mm-hmm. about the – start with the number. How many kids are you guys serving every year and, and what format does that take? Mm-hmm. So in preschool, we're serving about 6,000 children a year. And then in Porter Leith, we're serving about 50,000 children and families. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, of course, includes all of our programs in the, the depth and the breadth of our work as well. Um, so that can either be foster care. It can be um, some of our parent education. We have some prenatal um, and postnatal work that we can do. We have great family educators on staff that can work one-on-one with families mm-hmm. um, and help them be their first their child's first teacher, essentially. So making sure that they are um, creating a home environment that's that's really supportive of that child's learning and, and growth. Um, and then we have books from birth, which y'all may have heard of the Dolly Parton Imagination Library. Yeah. So our um, local Shelby County affiliate is housed at Porter Leaf. Oh, awesome. Um, so I actually worked for books from birth before I came on board hmm. at Porter Leaf. Porter Leaf um, merged with books from birth. Um I guess 2017. Wow. And um, because Porter Leith, and I guess that's a testament to Porter Leith as a whole, knew that early literacy was something that they could put potentially put a greater focus on. Yeah. So they, we were already partnering with Books from Birth, but they brought them under the umbrella, and then we were able to really um, give a greater emphasis on early literacy and making sure that those books that children get once a month, mm-hmm. um, that it, it went to all zip codes and that there was a greater greater accessibility yeah. for families. I'm very interested, and in, you, you spoke a lot about, like, the data mm-hmm. you guys are collecting and stuff. And for those who are listening as well, you know, that early childhood education, I think we sometimes forget the importance of that. Could you kind of give us a little insight on, like, what happens if those structures and things to promote early childhood education are not in place? Like, what are the results when we don't have access to things mm-hmm. like that? Well, I mean, I, th- I think the first one that I'd point to is that third grade reading level. So even if a child is not reading by the time they're at kindergarten, mm-hmm. they're learning the skills that it takes to learn to read. Um, so the, the ability to turn pages is that gross and fine motor skills with your hands um, or to be able to recognize words or letters. Language development is huge in early childhood. So to have um, those foundations built so that in kindergarten they can really hone into learning um, how to read sentences and stories, be able to match that with the pictures that they draw, mm-hmm. all of that is foundational to how how likely are they able to read at the third grade le- reading level? So that's one thing I'd point to. But just kindergarten readiness in general mm-hmm. um, is something that we're really proud that we're working on increasing over time. So, mm-hmm. so again, we've talked about the, the the sheer number of people that you're serving, but obviously there are more children than that in Shelby <laughs> County and our in our area. So um, I know you guys have other support systems to help all of those, whether they be, um, you know, individual uh, entrepreneurs who are mm-hmm. running daycares or other um, uh, child care facilities. Tell us a little bit about that and why that's important. So I think, um, you know, one thing that we realize at Porter Leaf is that, you know, we could never serve all of those that need us. Mm-hmm. Right. I think most nonprofits 
kind of feel that way, that there's always going to be um, a subset of people who, <clears throat> for whatever reason, um, you know, they're, they're not able to um, provide services for. And so what Porter Leith has come up to do is preparing and um, working with early childhood educators through our teacher excellence program, but also to work with family day homes and community child care centers through our Next Memphis um, initiative. And what that work looks like is to have some shared services. And by that, I mean, you know, we're, we're managing kind of the back end office um, mm. for community child care centers so that they're able to really focus on the work that they wanted to do in the begin yeah. to begin with, right? To serve the children and families. So it's it's helping to raise the bar, I think, raise the standard um, for childcare, for early childhood education across the board. Um, we don't want someone's zip code to determine how likely they are to be able to read, to be able to graduate. How, how likely they are to be able to do well in life. Um, so we want to make sure that every child and every zip code has high-quality options and access to those options. No, I think that's perfect because I think that you just summed it up in a very great way. Like, that is what impacts our communities mm -hmm. long-term, and I think that's the link people often miss. When we talk about, like, early childhood education, a lot of people are like, I don't have kids. Why should I mm -hmm. care? You know, and mm -hmm. it's like, no. Those things, if you like read statistical reports and city reports and things of that nature, like they show that those are predeterminants of what mm -hmm. our future is in the, our city. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think you just did a very great job of like linking those two um, with sure. how they work. Well, I mean, it, it's really a long term investment if yes. you want to think of it that way, thinking, thinking about your ROI for your investment. <laughs> it's a perfect right? way to put um, it. <laughs> you know, we're, we're playing the long game. Mm -hmm. And making sure that uh, our future looks really bright. And mm -hmm. part of that is by educating the children that are coming and really tailoring that work towards the youngest citizens in Shelby <laughs> County, mm -hmm. yes. right? Making sure that our future um, can be educated, can be strong, can make good choices. Yeah. And that will benefit us later on, um, you know, as a taxpayer, or as a citizen ourselves. Yeah, and you know, I, I we would be um, remiss to not mention how we pay for all of this. Mm -hmm. And I think um, one thing that our listeners may not know is, as it relates to the kids who end up in those facilities, they um, are a lot of public funding ends up fueling that education. But the actual infrastructure, the building of these amazing facilities and the resources that these kids get to enjoy, mm -hmm. are fully provided by philanthropy. Correct? They are. So. Um the Fraser Academy is a great example. So all of that was funded through a private capital campaign. And that allows us to go in to be able to do the work. While the building is awesome and great, and yes, we want everyone to have incredible facilities, really the work that's done inside of the building is what's most important to me. Hmm. And so to have someone and have individuals in our community invest, foundations in our community invest in early childhood to provide, that means that we can serve them without, you know, debt on our books and to be able to really focus on the programs themselves. Hmm. 
Well, our friend Rob Hughes, um, who is uh, in development of Porter Leith and is a graduate of our new Memphis Park program, <laughs> uh, would love for you to tell folks um, how they could potentially support yeah. the mission of Porter Leith. Yeah. Well, there's lots of ways that you could support. Um, of course, you can go to our website, porterleith.org. Um, that's P-O-R-T-E-R-L-E-A-T-H dot <laughs> org. Uh, and learn more about us, learn about our programs, kind of dive in. And uh, of course, you can donate online. Um, we do have um, a crawfish to go. Okay. Typically, we have a, a Raging Cajun Crawfish Festival. This year, it's a to-go because, of course, the mm-hmm. pandemic. So uh, we've we've transitioned to do a different model. Um, but that also lends for us to try some new things. So um, Raging Cajun this year that's presented by Orion, we're able to do two days. Um, and one will be at Minglewood Hall on Saturday, April 17th, and then Sunday at Malco Cordova Cinema on April 18th. And we'll have some great music hosted by a DJ. But you can come um, drive through or pre-order online and pick up some crawfish boil materials and you're able to party at home with your family or maybe your bubble (laughs) that you've been with um, for such a long time. Excellent. Well, Mary, we thank you so much for coming and sharing uh, uh, more information about Porter Leith. Uh, Again, you can go to porterleith.org to learn more, to make a gift, to get your crawfish. So go do that today. Mary, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. All right. Hi, my name is Christina Herrera. I'm the Director of Leadership Programs at New Memphis, which is a wonderful organization that really focuses on leadership development and also activation into the community and retaining our talent here in Memphis, which is so vital to making us a more prosperous community. As part of the work, we have several different leadership development programs. They focus from our top tier leaders within the community, so our C-suite, into our mid-career professionals who've had about 10 to 15 years of experience. We also have a program for your 20-something, so those new leaders who have just joined the workforce and are looking to develop their leadership skills. Our fellows program has been in existence for over 15 years. It is a one-year engagement for a cohort of mid-career professionals with about 10 to 15 years of experience to come together to not only work on their personal, professional development, but learn more about our community and then activate by working with another local nonprofit. The one-year cohort experience either starts in April or September. It brings together a group of 30 mid-career professionals from different sectors within the Memphis community. This can include for-profit partners, nonprofit, city leaders, civic engagement, entrepreneurs, or school professionals. In the year-long program, we divide our time between personal leadership development and activation in the community. As we move into our curriculum, we have a series of workshops that focuses the fellow skills on communication, conflict, inclusion, design thinking, and learning styles. We also take our newly developed leadership skills into action through a community action project where a small group of fellows will work with a local nonprofit to deliver a short time-bound project for their organization. As a graduate of the fellows program myself, it was an invaluable experience that I had over my year together with my cohort. I was able to be introduced to people that I never would have met otherwise within the Memphis community that empowered me to get involved in ways that I never thought that I would. Coming to it from a corporate background, I was exposed to other nonprofits, to local school leaders, 
to entrepreneurs in the Memphis community where I've been able to come alongside them and join them in their work as they try to make Memphis a better place for all Memphians. The true cost of this experience is several thousand dollars, but due to our generous partners, there is a small program administrative fee that all participants are required to pay. If you want to learn more about the New Memphis Fellows Program, visit our website at newmemphis.org. All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. Thank you to WYXR for hosting this uh, Tuesday morning radio program. Um, I will also mention, as you're looking at your calendar for the month of April, New Memphis is hosting one of our well-known Memphis 101 sessions. This is going to be a virtual session. It's generously sponsored by Regional One Health, who's been our partner on this work for many years. So if you're not familiar with Memphis 101, it is essentially a one-hour, very entertaining, uh, basically a history lesson on the story of Memphis. As people who are, as you've learned on our podcast, uh, working to shape a brighter future for our city, working to think about what the future of our city needs to look like, how we support everybody in our community. One of the most important um, springboards to getting into that work and visioning for our city's future is looking back at our city's past and making sure that we very much understand the history, the context, the how we got to where we are today of Memphis, uh, which, again, informs how we're going to move forward. So we have distilled this information down into a 60-minute, high-energy uh, virtual course, as I said, that gives you an up-close view of Memphis's culture, people, uh, everything from its politics, its history, uh, its music, all those things that like combine wrap up into the Memphis that we know today. It is a real clear-eyed picture on, again, the challenges that our city faces, some of the dark history that our uh, city has, and again, how we need to know about that to move forward with um, with as much clarity and intention as we can. So um, I've made it sound very, very like <laughs> dense, and that's probably not doing it any favors. It really is a lot of fun. If you like storytelling, if you want to kind of understand the community that you're living in today, I think it's a really fun way to do that. And again, we've distilled it into just one hour. It's virtual. It is from noon to one on April 20th. If you would like to join, go to newmemphis.org. You can learn more. You can sign up. It's free. Um, But we do ask you to register so we can get you that link and we can know to be prepared for you. Uh, It is great for folks who are new to town. So Mm -hmm. if you have any friends, colleagues who are uh, new to Memphis, haven't been here that long, and are trying to better understand this wacky place that we all call home, (laughs) uh, it's great for them. But it's also wonderful for longtime Memphians who are, again, just looking to look at their city with some fresh eyes and get some perspective. So, Christy, anything else that we need to uh, throw at our listeners before we call it a day? No, but speaking of NewMemphis.org, you know what else you can do at NewMemphis.org? You can (laughs) donate, guys. Uh, New Memphis is a nonprofit, so we work in the city to retain and develop and activate the talent of our city just to help us get to be the best we can be. So make a donation. No donation is too big. No donation is too small. And also, speaking of nonprofits, WYXR, who actually gives us the platform to do this radio show, is also a nonprofit. Uh, They host an array of talented people on their networks from people like us who do talk shows to people who do music and just not music shows, but they do. They have those as well. But people who just play the music you're listening to on air when you listen to um, their radio station. So 
If you like what they're doing, if you like hearing our show, others, if you haven't listened to others, I urge you to please go to WYXR's website and take a look at their, like I said, just there's so many shows I can't even begin to name them. Um, and I could get into what my favorites are, but I'm, I feel like I shouldn't. Um, so, but just please like go also give them a quick donation and give them a listen. Um, I think supporting, you know, our local organizations and the work they do is super crucial, which you'll find on this episode as well, since we have two nonprofit leaders in the space with us. So. Go to your computer, make a donation to New Memphis, make a donation to WYXR, yes. <laughs> make a donation to Porter Leith, and make a donation to Choices, and then start your Tuesday off feeling like you really did the yeah, right thing. You did the great thing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Christy, for being with me, and we will see everybody next week. Bye, everybody. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR, produced by New Memphis and hosted by Anna Mullins Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com.